This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. And welcome to Pet Chat. As we said before, we're going to be looking at chocolate. Chocolate, chocolate yep. David Tabret. Yeah, look, it comes around a couple of times a year, but even still... Chocolate does. Oh, well, it's the here all the time, isn't people. it? Yes, um, have it sitting around in large amounts, I think is probably more the description. And it probably doesn't sit around for all that long either. <laughs> well, surprisingly long enough for the pet dogs to sometimes get into it. And uh, that's when we see some problems. So Easter and Christmas are the times that, as an emergency veterinarian, we see these problems more commonly. And uh, Easter, of course, um, there's a lot around. The telltale clues might be that there's uh, wrappers, empty wrappers. Sometimes dogs are not fussy. They'll eat the wrappers as well. So just be aware. Uh, Now, the chocolate, how does it cause problems? Well, inside chocolate are some things that make you feel pretty good. And they're a group of compounds generally called methylxanthines. Um, and the most common ones we think of are caffeine. And, and the one that really causes problems in dogs is theobromine. So these compounds are in there. Now, they, they're the ones that they give us a buzz when we eat chocolate. In dogs, they give them more than a buzz. They can actually cause seizures and um, you know, convulsions and heart rate, uh, heart irregular rhythms and can actually kill them. So got to be really careful. Dogs are much more sensitive to the effects. Obviously, we can tend to eat a fair bit of chocolate before we get that effect, a lot of chocolate. Um, but dogs are very sensitive, more so with um, dark chocolate. And even more so if you've got cooking chocolate, although we don't tend to give cooking chocolate Easter eggs, do we? Not so, No, they're rather bitter. Um, but the regular milk chocolate, it doesn't take much for a dog to actually start to develop symptoms so you do need to be a a little bit careful obviously we don't give our dog easter eggs but if they get access you need to contact your veterinarian very quickly any time day or night because it is something that needs to be treated straight away now when we have a call that comes to the emergency hospital where someone says their dog's eaten a certain amount of chocolate we actually have a little spreadsheet and we work out what's a toxic dose and it as i said it doesn't take very much like a a small bar of chocolate for a 10 kilo dog could be enough uh, enough to cause symptoms. And what happens then is we get them in and we have to make them vomit. The problem with chocolate is it melts and it sticks to the lining of the stomach. So we make them vomit, but then also we have to then flush the stomach out. So they have to have an anaesthetic and wash the stomach out. And it has to be the right temperature water to melt the chocolate but not burn the dog, you know. It's technical to get this stuff out. It's far better to prevent it going in. Generally, if we treat them, though, the the prognosis is pretty good. Recovery is pretty well. Um, Touch wood, haven't lost any. Um, But we do want to get the message out there for people to prevent this happening. What about cats? Are they affected in the same way? Oh, cats. um, They're not as sensitive as dogs. They're more sensitive than people. But they're a bit fussier, so they just... You know, unless you've unwrapped the chocolate for them, they really couldn't be bothered. So, um, so cats, we don't tend to see any problems with it. I think also they may, there might be a bitter um, taste. You know, chocolate can have that slightly bitter edge to it, and they probably stay away from it. They're not as drawn to the sugary part either as what dogs are. But dogs, chemically inside, their nervous system, which is where the, the theobromine attacks as well as the heart, that that's much more sensitive to the effects of this. David, I went to a, a birthday party a couple of weeks ago for mm-hmm. a two-year-old. Little Maya had a two, second birthday. And uh, they've got Weimaranas, or parents have. And this Weimarana opened the fridge and ate 
ate of the you know, 30 or 40 cupcakes that were in the fridge that mum had cooked. <laughs> Open the fridge. <laughs> Open the fridge and, and decided you're, you're to have eight cupcakes with wonderful icing and marshmallows. You're always saying <laughs> how smart they are. There's the proof, isn't it? <laughs> there is the proof. Gluttony. But he was fine. It was okay. Yeah, no cupcakes, cupcakes are okay. Uh, chocolate cupcakes might have been a bit of a bit problem. Of a problem. But um, it is a dose-related thing. So, if you know, if they get access to... The worst ones we've seen have been... Um, where they've gotten into the cupboard and there's some cooking chocolate powder, cocoa powder there, and that's just highly concentrated mm. in theobromine, and that's when we really see problems. But dark chocolates, um, I think I mentioned once before on the show, we had a, uh, it was a Christmas um, chocolate, not an Easter chocolate, and they woke up on Christmas Day and the dog had eaten, started at the front of the tree, and the family had decided to give everybody chocolates that year, no other presents. And started at the front of the tree and worked his way around and got halfway around. And uh, the guy said to me, lucky he didn't get to the back because all the dark chocolate was at the back. Mm-hmm. And it was all milk chocolate at the front. So the symptoms were a little bit, um, you know, less severe. But nevertheless, even big dogs would be uh, susceptible to the effects of it. Yeah. So, Avoid chocolate. Keep them for yourself. Be greedy <laughs> on chocolate. That's the answer, isn't Eat it? Eat them straight away. Yeah, that's the other thing to do. <laughs> You're listening to Pet Chat and Danny. We've got an interview today with an it, interesting breed of dog. That's right, well, American no, with Cocker <laughs> with a person. <laughs> yes. the, the dog won't be talking, but it's American Cocker Spaniels this time round. So that's quite exciting, and they look so lovely when they're all groomed and done up, and um, yeah, they look quite spectacular. But there's a bit of work involved with them. But Yvonne has owned a. Uh, dogs for about 30 odd years and she used to breed and show collies in the beginning but a call to go back to work meant she had to put aside her showing career and didn't like to leave the dog by itself at home but when things change and circumstances change and when it came time for her to own another dog she decided it would have to be an American Cocker Spaniel so therefore when she got the little puppy she took a maternity leave from work and to look after Lodger which was her first yank and never went back to work after that. She is the secretary of the Northern Gun Dog Society and show secretary of the Combined Northern Canine Committee. Welcome to the show, Yvonne. Thanks, Danny. Thank you. <laughs> That's a wonderful story. So you took maternity leave and never went back to work. Yeah, yeah. Bob <laughs> kept ringing up saying, when are you coming back? I said, look, I don't think I want to. I'm having too much fun. Fun. <laughs> and it's been like that ever since. Yeah, and yeah. So can you just... American Cockers are such a, a people... Um, People dog, you know. Yes. They don't really like to be left on their own. So. That's true. Yeah. First of all, what um, can you describe what they look like? There's English Cocker Spaniels and there's American Cocker Spaniels. Yeah, well, they're, they're sort of they're sort of like um, a small English Cocker. Yes. But the, the head is more chiselled. It's, it's a lot squarer. Um, and they have the most beautiful, long, flowing coat. They do. And as you said, they look absolutely beautiful when they're... In full coat, ready to be shown. Yeah, they look marvellous. And yeah, when they're in yeah, the gun dog room. In, yeah, they, they come in a couple of um, different colours, mm-hmm. black, brown, buff. Yeah, so, they do. So there is a bit of variety. Yeah. And I know when, when we see them lined up against the other gun dog um, dogs, they look quite marvellous and spectacular mm, and, and yeah, hold their lovely. own very much so. Yeah. What's the history of the breed? Well, they were actually, they're the smallest member of the gundog group, and they were originally bred to chase the, the woodcocks out of the long grasses around the marshes and that, oh, so okay. that the owners could shoot, you know, the birds come out and the, the owners shoot them. Yes. Although, I don't know that, that that 
they're mainly bred now, I think, just for show. I mean, imagine sending one of these dogs with all the coat through the scrub now. They come back looking like a Christmas tree <laughs> with all the stuff hanging off them. They would do. Would they have, for their job that they were bred to do, would they have trimmed them more regularly, I guess, to keep the coat shorter? I, I, I think, I'm not, not really sure, Danny, but I think the coat was there to, to actually act as protection. Protection. Yeah. You know, against all the, the but I, I guess they probably would have had them a little bit shorter. Yes. One could hope, anyway. Now, how long have you owned uh, owned the breed? Okay, well, I've had um, I've had them for seven years. I got Roger um, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, and I've had Shelby for five years. Okay. And I haven't bred with them. Right. Okay. <laughs> yep. Now, with with the health problems, what are common problems to the breed? Well, I guess the the most common one is PRA. Progressive retinal atrophy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but most all all reputable Yank breeders now they have their dogs checked for this disease. It's an it's an eye disease. Um, and if if they they do find it in the if the genes there, they the uh, the dog bitch whatever would be desexed and then probably go to a pet home. And not bred from, yes. Not bred from, no. Yeah. They're, they're very, very... The breeders are really um, into, you know, looking that, that we don't get this continuing. Yeah, so they're strict on those guidelines to make oh, sure yeah. that we don't breed and keep yep. that in the breed. What, yep. other, what other issues could there be? Um, some some yanks get yeast infections in their ears, and yeah. that's because they've got that big floppy ear, you know. Yes. Um, they'll... They, can get a bit smelly, yeah. um, and you usually know that the dog will scratch his ears or rub his head on on the carpet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's easily fixed. You, you, it, it's maintaining it. You know, I bath my dogs every week and I check their ears every week. Lodger yes. has smelly ears. Shelby doesn't. So, yes. you know, it's not it's not a worrying. Thing. It's just keeping on top of it. What sorts of families or people would be suited to the breed, Yvonne? Oh, look, anyone, Danny. They're, they're definitely a people dog. They love people. They love being with people. They're, they're better probably if somebody's home there for them. You yep. know, like that wherever I go, I'm a husband, wherever we go, they're there behind us. Yep. They just want to be with, with you, you all the time, you yeah. know. So families old, you know, an old age pension or whatever to, for a companion dog, excellent. They're yeah. just very, very devoted. And in terms of breeders in the area, I think you were saying there's only about two breeders in yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, two, um, and they're the breeders, one that bred Lodger and one that bred Shelby. Okay. Um, uh, but there are, um, and I know that they don't have pups at the moment. They, they've had litters, and, and uh, they're just actually starting to show their pups now. And where could people access information for American um, co- uh, cockers? Yeah, well, if they Google, um, th- there is an American Cocker Spaniel Club, mm-hmm. and there's one in every state. So they could, if they had Googled American Cocker Spaniel Club New South Wales, um, there's links that take you, and they let you know if there's, pups available or, That's right. you know, and, and you get to see what the dog is really like. And last of all, what is a funny or special moment you can share with us that's happened with your <laughs> oh dogs? Dear. Well, Roger, the oldest dog, he is a real sticky beak. He's always 
love to go in ladies' handbags. He'll, he'll open drawers, cupboard drawers and things like that. And quite often we go up to our next-door neighbour's place in an afternoon for happy hour and the dogs come with us and he goes missing. And this day he went missing and, and, and I, said, I yelled out, where are you, Lodger, come on. A couple of minutes later he comes trotting out um, with a pair of false teeth in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> He'd only gone in in, um, in the bottom drawer of the bathroom cabinet. He can open them so easy. <laughs> and uh, there's Roger just standing there looking at us with Alan's false face and false teeth. And we had a hell of a job getting them off him. But oh, no. Needless to say, they were broken. I think he thought they were a bone. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for your time today. It was lovely discussing American Cockers with you. And you're listening to 2NURFM 103.7. And this is Pet Chat, and chat means a bit of talk. If you'd like to put your question to our vet, David Tabret, then give us a call, 49216216. And in the meantime, Danny Boss, pet events. What's pet happening? Events. There's only one pet event that I have listed for this weekend. It's the Bay City All Breeds Kennel Club's um, Championship Show. It starts today, this afternoon at Hillsborough Dog Showground, and it'll be on tomorrow as well. So that's on t- this afternoon and tomorrow. But some other things in terms of the bushfires, we were talking about that la- last week, about the bushfires in Victoria. There's been some dog um, uh, groups who have organised some uh, appeals and got some donations happening. One is the Agility Committee Bushfire Appeal. Within 10 days, they were able to organise an agility event, and this is no mean feat, as prizes, raffle prizes, ticket sale, uh, sellers, stewards, judges, caterers are all needed to get organised, plus getting the entries to the show. The show was held on the 22nd of February. There was 444 dogs that ran the trial and $7,000 was raised. So that's quite fantastic. And another one was on the 14th and the 15th of February when the fires were raging throughout Victoria. An all-breeds championship show was being held at Erskine Park. The show's organisers, this is in Sydney at Erskine Park. The show's organisers, Dogs New South Wales, complex funding raise, fundraising committee held the show and the money they get from that show usually goes to improving the site this time around they decided we want to donate that and there was a total of twenty thousand four hundred dollars donated to dogs victoria that's an How excellent effort yeah. yeah very good well four nine two one six two one six is the number to ring and elaine has done that and joins us now hello elaine it's elena elena okay you've got a question for david I do, David. Hi, Elena. I don't know whether, whether you remember me, but I had Max the Bulldog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know, well, I have two questions, let you know that he actually lived till he was nine and he accidentally choked. So oh. you did a really good job. I was, I looked after Max like, how, how long ago was that? About 13 years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Right from a baby. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, and now oh. I'm downsizing to pugs. So what problems do I need to look for in them? Ooh. Well, look, if, you, if you're going from British Bulldogs to pugs, I think things are getting better. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know the problems that British Bulldogs get. The, ma- the main things that we tend to see are upper airway problems. Yep. Um, and pugs are very similar. Um, you're not breeding, are you? Or? Uh, I will be. Yes. Okay. I'm just looking into buying a bitch now, so okay. yes. 
Um, well, they're a brachycephalic breed, so they do get these. That means a shortened face, and so they do get these upper airway problems. And but with careful selection, I think um, problems there can be minimised. The things I remember with a lot of pugs that I saw was they they did have a high rate of cesarean um, surgery needed to yep. welt them, but obviously that's going to be very much dependent on each individual mating. Um, they can sometimes get some skin problems by and large. They're generally healthy, I guess. The only other thing might be is um, uh, cherry eyes, but again, that's like similar to, yep. to bulldogs and um, I think are much less incidence compared to... I mean, anyone who's had bulldogs for you know as long as you did, that um, you've probably seen all the things that can go wrong yep. and yep. hopefully you'll, you'll see less of those with, with pugs. Personality-wise, look, they're still great dogs and... Um, they're, they're just terrific little dogs to have around. I, I love pugs. They're fantastic. I think they've got lovely characters. And as you're right, breeder selection is very important. So you, get, you can get some really good good pugs if you yeah. get the right breeder. Yeah. Mm. But um, I think you'll be fine, and I know they'll be in such good hands. Yes, they will. I'm and really... They'll vi- and they'll be visiting you. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear from you again. Thanks, Elena, for your call. Uh, um, 49216216 will get you through. Is is there a particular reason why dogs that do have breeding um, uh, problems, like uh, that's mainly dogs with squashed faces, isn't it? Oh, no, that was actually just the shape of their shoulders oh, compared okay. to the pelvis. For example, if you look at Staffordshire Terriers, they have very wide shoulders compared to their pelvis, and sometimes they do run into difficulties breeding. So when the incidence or the requirements, sorry, for caesarean surgery are, might be related to the breed, but it can also just be that a puppy's turned the wrong way. So it doesn't have to be a particular breed, but um, certainly some breeds are more likely to have problems and um mm. you know, pugs are one of those breeds that sort of fit into that. But they, they can welt normally. Mm. Um, just that right. they might need intervention. Yeah. Mm. Yes. <laughs> well, is your cat scratching or your pup yupping? If so, you'd like to know how to fix it, give us a call, 49216216. We do have lines free at the moment. And have you come across any other interesting problems at the moment just recently, David? Um, last week we talked uh, about dogs that we'd seen with heat stroke and yes. problems and... Um, well, look, hopefully this cooler weather means we avoid that. We're still seeing ticks and uh, suspected snake bites, but they're on the way out. So these are the summer problems, and we do tend to get into um, more of the winter problems, which hopefully are a bit less. Um, there was uh, We did have some stray dogs turn up after the fireworks at the Newcastle show. Just be aware if your dog is anxious and there's things like fireworks happening or thunderstorms, you provide a nice, safe environment where they can go and hide, like a little cave-type thing. And they'll be a lot more comfortable in that. Rodney joins us now. Hello, Rodney. You've got a question for David? Yeah, how you going, David? Hi, Rodney. Um, mate, I've got two dogs. Um, well, it doesn't really matter. They, one's a um, Maltese cross foxy. The other one's a foxy. Yep. Um, I've got a problem with fleas. Now, they get under the house, and that's where they're picking up the fleas. Yeah. Now, I could wash the dogs, get them fleeless, bang, straight under the house. Within minutes, they've got fleas again now. Well, yep. It's probably about a three-foot drop from the bottom of the house to the ground. Okay, so you've got so, that space under there. Yeah, so I've got a, you know, it's a fair bit of work to, to actually block off underneath the house. Oh, right, okay. Now, Is there something I can use in the dirt, put, apply to the dirt underneath the house? There are. Um, whether it's going to be effective is the other thing. Now, do you have any other animals? 
No. No dogs, uh, no other dogs or cats? No. Just the two? Yeah. Okay. The flea life cycle means that the adult female flea has to feed on the dog to be able to lay the eggs. And they lay the eggs on the dog, and then the eggs fall off wherever the dogs go. Now, the eggs then um, can hibernate or hatch after about a week in the right temperature and uh, humidity, etc. And under the house is always going to be a very nice breeding spot for the fleas. And then they form little larvae, which are like a little worm. They then form a pupa. The pupa can sit there for any length of time, up to like a year, and then they can hatch out into adults. So what's happening is you've got that whole life cycle going on under the house, but it does require the dogs to be feeding the adult fleas. So I like the idea of using um, products on the dog that actually is effective in killing the adult fleas, but also any eggs that they lay uh, are not going to hatch. And there's um, a couple, uh, I remember we used to use Program, which was in a uh, tablet, um, also came as an injectable, and that actually contained a a thing called uh, that stopped the... um, the eggs from hatching. What was it called? Program. I'm not sure if you can actually get it anymore. They did incorporate it into a new, um, one of the newer products. Uh, Frontline Plus contains an egg inhibitor yeah. as well as an adulticide. And if so, if you're using Frontline on your dogs, you should use the Frontline Plus, and oh, it's like good. a spot on on the back of the neck. The important thing with that is if you bath the dogs, you have to wait a day or so before you put the Frontline Plus on. They have to be dry. Yeah, because it actually gets sits in the oily layer of the skin. So if you bath them, you've taken the oily layer off. Oh, right, yep. Then you've put it on, it just runs off. So they've got, it's got to be a day after you bath them. Just one other thing to add. we um, There is a product called Solfac, which is a pesticide for cockroaches and ants and fleas, that is safe enough, though, that if you spray it underneath the house... Um, and kill the fleas that if the dogs go back in there, it doesn't harm the dogs because you can even spray the dog bedding with this product called Solfax. So we've been recommending that in our store uh, as another preventative. You always use your spot on like your front line, um, but then also spray that can spray the areas where there's fleas. Yep. There was something else someone told me, but um, I think it was more just a a quick preventative to get the fleas off the dogs. I think it started like cap. Yeah, Cap- Capstar. Yeah. Capstar yeah. yeah, and it only lasts for 24 hours. Yeah. So if you, you can buy it in the supermarket. Get the fleas off, yeah. the, off the dogs and then frontline them at the same time. Yeah, well, what I would do is you bath the dogs, yep. right, give them Capstar that day, and the next day put the frontline plus on. Right. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Things to try. Thanks for your call. Thanks very much. 49216216 is the number to ring, and Sue joins us now. Hello, Sue. Ah, good afternoon. Hi, Sue. How are you, David? Good. What can we do for you? Well, we have a little... We'll guess that she's a silky cross Jack Russell Terrier. Mm-hmm. She was a little rescue dog we got 12 months ago. It was a private adoption <laughs> by someone that knew she needed a home and we were in the process of putting down our yep. dogs after many, many years. Now, she was alleged to have been kept in a bird cage as a puppy. Mm-hmm. Now, we have a quarry sitting on our kitchen wall here and when I take that bird out of... It's, it's a hand-read one. And when I take that na- naughty bird out of her cage, this dog has... Well, she doesn't have a fit, but she's hiding in a corner somewhere in the house. She's oh. absolutely terrified of the bird. Of the bird. I'm not so... Now, now, this is it. I'm not so sure whether it's the open cage... Yes. ...or the bird, because she's been known to get up on my lap... 
Mm. When I've had the bird on my shoulder, mm-hmm. and yesterday when I had the bird on my shoulder, I encouraged her to come to me and I gave her little bits of cheese. Oh, that was very clever of you. Very, um, very good. Um, so I don't know. Um, yeah, you need to make, you need to make, there might well be an anxiety there associated with what you're saying about the cage, but um, I would certainly work on the um, getting the bird uh, and your little dog at least um, able to be in the same room. Mm. And so um, relieving the anxiety is going to take steps exactly like what you did yesterday, just little baby steps, getting them a bit closer to each other. They don't, they don't have to be best mates, of course, but, no. um, but just being able to so that your little dog is, is not anxious when the bird's around because quarians, as you know, can be quite, um, well, assertive and yeah. <laughs> inquisitive, yeah. and it wouldn't be unlikely that if you do have the bird out, it decides to go and sit on the dog's shoulder. Yeah, yeah. And um, so if you've got an anxiety there associated with that, that's going to be quite distressing. Yes, yes. And And then the second stage is to work on the anxiety with the cage. And I think similar principle, just little steps like coming into the room um, or standing at the doorway. And what you need to do is ask the dog to do something that you know it can do, like sit. Yeah, oh, okay. well, we don't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> so... As in, don't run away. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have any obedience at all. This little dog, she's about four and a half, and uh, okay. Um, you know, but see, what well, it's unfair to this quarry and not to be allowed out because yeah. the dog's taken over because this is a very bold little, you know, permanently clucky little, little cheeky bird. You know. Oh, and, they uh, are. Yeah. And um, you know, and but but see, this little dog, she doesn't like loud bangs. I'm on a walking stick, which I constantly drop, and she has an absolute fit every time I drop it. She doesn't like men, yet she's bonded with my husband. But if another male comes to the house, as soon as they turn to leave, she's on their heels. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you just um, need to need to incorporate these anxieties into little steps and use food as a reward yeah. to, to um, just relax the dog and get it comfortable with these circumstances. But just go very slowly. If you do find that she gets anxious with anything, back up a step and go back to the previous level at which she was comfortable and give her a bit more time. And it's just going to take a long period of time because she's an adult dog as well. Yes, yes, so, that's what I, you know. That sounds good. It sounds like you'll get there, though. Yeah. Okay. Got on the right, right track. Thank you, Sue. Thanks, Sue. And Steve joins us now. Hello, Steve. Hi, Hello there. Hi, Steve. Right. Um, we have a little um, chihuahua. Right. We told us chihuahua uh, cross corgi. Well, um... She's got a cough, quite a pronounced cough. How, how old is she, Steve? Uh, about 10. Right, okay. Yes, right, she is 10. We got her in uh, December of uh, no, 08. No, right. Yeah. And uh, when is the cough happening? All the time, any time. Right, more at night, more into the day, or...? Trying to bring something up. Okay. Yep. And it's uh, it's not regular. And has this only come on recently? Oh, just I'll speak to me. She's had it three to five months. Three to five months. Okay. The breed is a is a, a bit of an indicator here. I would be concerned. These dogs can get heart disease. Well, we have had her to the vet. Right. And she has got a murmur. Right. And now uh, she's got a cough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's only developed. And he did say to us, "You ever use Benadryl?" 
and he said it doesn't hurt a dog to give him a little teaspoon of Benadryl occasionally. Right. Uh, this is a cough medicine. Yes, for, for people. Children. Yeah. Yeah. I would want to make sure that the reason she's got a cough is not because of the heart disease. So right. she, we know she's got heart disease because she's got a murmur. Now, whether she's got heart failure, that's where fluid starts to build up because the heart's not pumping properly. Right. And so usually what happens is these little dogs, they have a leaky valve in their heart. And so the fluid, instead of going one way, it starts the blood. A bit of it's going back into the lungs and sitting in there. And that increase in pressure, then it starts to leak fluid into the airways. And that's what causes the lungs. Now, there are some treatments that are quite effective for that. Um, but a lot of little dogs also, they can get cough, but it's, they'll have a murmur and they'll have a cough, but they're not connected. And then sometimes they are connected, and so you've got to work out how, whether they are. And that might need an x-ray or an ultrasound, or there is a treatment trial that can sometimes distinguish. Yeah, um, well, as I said, uh, we've had her to, uh, to the vet. She's a little bit overweight. Mm. Sure. It sounds as though she needs another visit to the vet. Yeah, I'm, say that's I'm worried about I'm yes. worried about her heart because they can deteriorate. So I would suggest that we get her checked over again and make sure she doesn't need some other treatments. Oh, good luck with Thanks, that, Steve. Steve. And uh, Joanna joins us now. Hello. 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 Hi, Joanna. What can Hi. we do for you? Um, my cat is, um, every so often she gets a, um, pussy eye, and she's mm-hmm. got it at the moment, and it's, you know, it's, it looks horrible, and it obviously clears up, I've, I've, um, tried a bit of weak salt, warm salt water on it, just, sure. but what? How old's your, your little cat? I don't know, she's, she's an adult? She was a stray, but she, uh-huh. she looks pretty ancient, she's. Okay, and how could often? Be oh, okay. She could be, like, she could be. She's barely old now, I'd say. Oh, right. Um, a number of things can cause that. Probably just using salty water in the um, in the first instance is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, but sometimes we see, particularly cats that have been acquired as strays, they may have a latent um, inf- viral infection in their eye. And what happens is they acquire these viral infections at a very young age, and um, it just keeps coming back. Very constantly. And the rest of the time they might be okay. Um, the other thing that we see with older cats can be they get um, corneal problems where the surface of the eye might be damaged. Mm-hmm. And uh, that could be that there's an ulcer there or it could be that there's actually um, something rubbing on the eye, like an, uh, mm. an eyelash that's growing in the wrong direction. Would that be... Would I be able to notice that? Mm, no, no. If they're, I mean, if they're really obvious, yes. But not usually. We often, when we look at them, we need to use special dyes oh. or magnification to see it. Mm. So it is something that I think you need to get it checked out because eye problems, obviously, they can deteriorate and lose all vision. Um, and in particular, they're obviously going to be a bit painful. Mm. But uh, if it's a viral infection, there is some medication that can help. But by and large... Um, just making sure that those other things aren't there as well, I think, is important. Yeah. So I, I remember I had cats before, and they had it when they were kittens, that puffy. Yeah. Probably just acquired it when they were small. So. Yeah, sometimes it just hangs around for years and years, and it just keeps coming back. So, mm. um, But get a check for those other eye problems as well. Mm. Okay. And we are talking animals. Pet chat here on 2NURFM. 49216216 was the number that Robin rang to get through to us. Hello, Robin. Hello. Hi, Robin. How can we help Hi. you? 
I have a two-and-a-half-year-old toy poodle mm-hmm. who has just come in on heat into her third season and we want to mate her. And I'm just wondering when should I put her with the uh, male dog? Um, now, when the uh, dogs are cycling and they come on heat, there's generally three phases. So we want to get uh, pretty close to the um, time of ovulation, which is in, in the middle phase. Middle now, phase. the initial period of time when they actually start to come on heat what happens is that there's a a discharge that you see is uh, red tinged or blood tinged and that changes to a straw color now the period of time that can be is it could be a week um, could be longer could be shorter it just depends on each dog Um, and then when it changes to a uh, straw color fluid that's when they're in the the cycle of um, estrus and uh, that's coming into the um, most fertile time when they will be receptive to the male and uh, and you know able to be mated now the when they are mated there's a the time of fertilization is actually delayed a little bit so um, that that allows you a little bit of leeway it means that even if they haven't ovulated you can mate them and uh, and they'll still can then still uh, you know um, have a litter um, or they might have already ovulated and they're mated. But generally, you want to be around about a day or two either side of the time. Now, the question is, what is the day that they ovulate? Um, Some people just take a punt and they just mate them every second day or every 36 hours. Um, Around about, what do you say, Danny, about day 8, 9, 10? Yeah, after they I recommend just colours. to be on the safer side to, 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 to mate them every couple of days for two yeah. or three times at least. It really depends yeah. on your access to the male. That's, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you're breeding and using, say, artificial insemination, you sort of want to be a little bit more accurate because you're really only going to get one shot at it. Yeah. I've got a male dog lined up. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're often going to be the best judge, but um, it's... After about a week, when the straw-coloured discharge appears, right, yep. then you want to start mating them. She's been on now seven days. Right, and has the discharge changed colour? Not yet. Not no. yet. Okay, so you've got to pick that time. You've got to watch them very closely. Um, and third third cycles are you know probably the the optimum time to be going yeah. for a first litter for sure. And if if you do uh, let them mate every couple of days, you'll find. Um, if you've started a bit early, she might not be willing to stand for the dog. Yeah. But when she willingly stands for the dog, you'll know this is the exact yep. time. That's right. Yeah. Okay. When she stands for him. Okay. Yes. They know All best. Right, then. Okay. <laughs> Good luck, Robin. Right. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> and you're listening to Two and RFM's Pet Chat. Danny, you've come in with a little box under your arm. What is it? It's something yeah. special. You guys are excited when I bring in something, a don't pet you? Pro- you get excited yeah, we with that. Do. This is a new product we've just um, had come in store. It's called the Contact Water Dog Outdoor Pet Fountain. We've talked about pet fountains before, but this one's a little bit different because you attach it to your tap. And what happens is is it's got a sensor, a perimeter sensor. So what happens is as the dog gets really close to it, it automatically lets a flow of fresh water out so that the dog can lick it up. And it's really advantageous for the dogs to have fresh flowing water that they can drink. Um, and this is what this provides. It helps it be fresh and clean and it's always available for the dog. Um, it, the sensor is a sonar proximity sensor, so it can work really well. It works with batteries for um, C-cell alkaline batteries and can last up to 12, 12 months. Um, so yeah, so really easy to use. They're available for your dog all the time.
one. I've seen some dogs that won't drink water out of a bowl so that they've actually got to have the tap turned on and flowing. And I was just thinking, actually, that, that restricts the owners very much because, you know, you can't leave the dog all day. Without water. They've got to come home and turn the tap on. And apart from the behavioural problem that that represents, but this is actually something that uh, would work really well because it's going. To, it's flowing water. It's not just sitting in a bowl for them. That's right. Mm. It makes a difference. Plus, it's also... If if the bowl is outside, left in the sun, it, the water is going to get warm. This would be cooler water coming out of out of the tap as well, yeah. wouldn't it? Is that works on a sonar sensor? Does yeah. that mean they make a noise and it hears something and um, and releases water? Yeah, it it'll it'll notice when the dog comes really close to it, and it'll just uh, open up and the water will flow through. And as soon as the dog moves away, the water will stop flowing. I just put a bowl underneath it too to catch the extra a- any extra. Yeah, yeah good idea. Sounds like a good so, thing. Yeah, very good thing, and it comes with a two-year warranty as well. There you go, a water dog <laughs> to water your dog. And that brings Pet, pet Chat to a close today on 2NURFM. Thank you, David Tabrish. Thanks, Jane. And Happy Jane Easter. Boss. Oh, yes. We won't have a program next week because it's Good Friday and we'll all be enjoying it with our pets. Happy Easter to you both. And eating our Easter eggs. Yeah, not letting the dog eat the chocolate. That's right. Absolutely. I'm Jane Klein. Thanks to Dr. David Tabret and to Danny Boss.